0: Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. As we enter into the final month of the year, it is traditional to count the days until Christmas, but I think it's worthwhile to point out that there's only... 34 days left in 2020, and I'm sure we can all agree that we are pinning some high hopes on 2021. As we snuggle in for another weekend in our homes, though, it's a good time to listen and learn and prepare mentally for that shiny new year within our reach. I have some incredible guests who bring fresh takes this week on some topics that never get old, starting with Dillis DeCruz from Meridian Credit Union, who joins me to discuss the problems we create with money silence and how to break free from the consequences of not talking about cash flow in our marriages and other relationships. We all want to head into the new year with big smiles, and just like you shouldn't consult WebMD to self diagnose your health, you should probably avoid doing something similar when it comes to your dental health. The facts are important when it comes to keeping your smile bright, and Anita Deddy from Dental X joins me today to bust some myths about baby teeth, seeing the dentist when pregnant, and teeth whitening. Come all ye faithful will have new meaning this year as the faithful find new ways to celebrate away from the church. Reverend Daniel Brereton is always a breath of fresh air and he joins me to share his perspective and offer some new ways to celebrate the holidays and find peace without a visit to the church. It's starting to feel a little like Groundhog Day here in Canada, with the government reacting to increasing virus caseloads the same way they did in the spring, which begs the question, have we learned nothing in nine months? Lauren Dobson Hughes is an advocate and consultant specializing in gender, health, and rights. She joins me to discuss what needs to happen so we can stop repeating the same mistakes. Every week, I feel for certain that Anne Brody is going to run out of fresh entertainment for us, and every week she shows up here with brand new releases. This week is absolutely no exception, with a whole slew of new movies and TV shows, including a roundup of some incredible holiday movies you won't want to miss. Finally, necessity might be the mother of invention, but it can also be the mother of reinvention. In a full circle moment, the iconic Erica M. has returned to her roots with her new podcast, The Reinvention of the VJ, which gets up close and personal with Canadian VJs and finds out where they are now and how they dealt with the jump from TV stardom to new careers. It's another full week here at What She Said, so let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. If talking about money makes you uncomfortable, then I've got a warm seat right beside me for you to come and join me for this next interview talking about money when I was growing up was considered socially taboo and probably a little bit rude. The lesson was don't talk about it. The result has been many painful and pointed lessons about finances. Joining me today is Dillis De Cruz, VP of Wealth Management at Meridian Credit Union, who wants to help us break the money silence. Welcome back, Dillis. Thanks so much, Candace. Great intro, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, money silence, it's painful because you feel like you can't talk about it, um, which creates problems when you're trying to figure your way through various scenarios with, with your money. Uh, mm-hmm. So tell me about, um, you have a, an upcoming um, webinar on this, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we actually had a webinar uh, a month ago. And the whole
1: breaking money silence is uh, actually coined that phrase from Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. And so we had her out and she is a wealth psychologist. So she blends wealth with psychology, her background in psychology. And so she really wants to start the Breaking Money Silence revolution. <laughs> and so um, we do have that. We're going to share that link uh, on your website. We ran the webinar. It's open to anybody. You just have to go on our website and you'll hear really, really great discussion on things you can do. But really, this stemmed from it. And, and your intro was great. Is, is that um, what is money silence? Money silence is the you know that fear that being uncomfortable about talking about money and you know it really impacts relationships we know that money is a big reason why divorce happens and also just within families if we're not talking about money with our kids how are they learning (laughs) right and and you talked about it and i was going to ask this question and put you on the spot but you kind of talked about it it's like did your parents talk to you about money? Did they they did they tell you how much they made? You know, like I'm very open with my kids, but but that was not the environment I grew up with. What was your environment like? Well,
0: you know, I don't want to I'm not looking to shame my parents in any way no. because this was 100% the generational thing. But mm-hmm. when I asked about money, it was very much none of your business. Right. You don't get to know these things. Yeah. Um, and so I am trying to change that narrative with my daughters so that the conversation is much more open but it was interesting I was reading about this when it comes to marriages and you know there's a uh, I think 40 percent or something like that of um, marriages they don't know what the other spouse is making and that's struck me as a little bit funny because if you don't know when you're married you're definitely going to find out when you're getting divorced right Uh, (laughs) because those things need to be disclosed
1: yeah so
0: it's crazy
1: So true. I mean, you know, I've talked about this and so, and I have friends uh who don't know how much their spouse made they don't know what their spouse makes and they got married about three years four years ago and uh and then the flip side when we talked about this on the COVID divorce is that um quite often um if you are going through the divorce, the first thing you need to do is go in with financials. And quite often women uh are not aware of not only that whole income side, what is your spouse making, but just the whole financial and and you know the the cash flow um you know in general. So um so this is really critical that we start talking about money and I think it's really helpful and Kathleen talks a lot about this it's so great but just having those open conversations and I even think personally you know the conversations I have with my children and you know you're going through divorce as well and so it's good for children to know your kids regardless how old they are kind of what your money situation is you know good bad or you know and and you can work together as a unit but if you're constantly keeping it from them how are they going to learn you know
0: It's funny you say that, you know, I think this year, though, um, because of COVID and because that the impact of that is hitting a lot of people, Mm -hmm. that more open conversation, it seems like it may be a little bit easier to have that conversation this year because we're all going through these pain points uh, with, with money. This year, I mean, if you're not taking a hit in your investments, you could be taking a hit with your employment, uh, employer, or if you're self-employed. So um, it's much more common that we're all sort of feeling this um, money struggle this year. So maybe that's a good opening. For these conversations with our kids that's a really good point that's a really
1: good point because it is a difficult time right now for many people and you have to be open about it so hopefully this is going to start uh the conversation and i had some really interesting stats which i'm going to share um so 51 percent of canadians feel embarrassed about the lack of control of their finances that's a big number uh 40 of couples don't talk about uh about their wealth or their finances um Twenty-seven percent of Canadian women don't discuss money at all, and it's only eighteen percent of men. So women are a little bit more uncomfortable. Okay, but this is the stat I love. Well, it boggles my mind. I don't really love it. Sixty-one percent of women would rather talk about their own death than money.
0: <laughs> that I that's that statistic. So you sent this to me before our interview. Now I read that and I laughed because. Yeah. That is similar to the to the statistic where you know people would rather be in the coffin than talking over it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I want to change that. Okay, 61% of us were talking about death. So we really need to start having the conversations. And so how do you do that? I think that, um, you know, Kathleen talks a lot about the mindset shift. So, you know, you need to start opening up and having these conversations with your spouse, with your children. But there's some questions you can ask yourself. and, And some of the things she suggests is, you know, it's, you know, answer these questions, you know, talking about money with your loved one is...
0: Uh, awkward, right? That, that would be my answer. That's the wrong answer. I know, but
1: Right. Talking to my parents about money is
0: Also awkward <laughs>
1: you, can, you can answer the questions. I'll ask it. Okay. The financial topic I find most difficult to discuss
0: uh, invest, Investing, I guess Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. I, w- I would say maybe debt um that might be a little difficult. The financial topic I find the easiest to discuss.
0: Oh, um, well, I guess that would be spending.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably representative. And then the biggest fear I have when it comes to money talk is oh wow,
0: wow, wow. My biggest fear when it comes to money is that well, and maybe not money talk, but money is that you know, I'm going to end up, you know, uh on the streets someday in my old age. I mean, I'm running uh-huh. out of money. Yeah. In my old age, that's a real fear.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so actually your questions were, your answers were great because I think this again is always about where do you get started. Right. And so it's easy enough to say, well, start having conversations. But, you know, if you um, have the right advisor that is going to probe you and ask these questions, and I really loved your last answer because there's so many people we, we worry about the future. And wouldn't it be great if you had somebody who had your back and said, you're Okay. We're going to have a plan. We're going through a hard time with COVID right now. And so we're going to adjust your plan, but you're going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to adjust it when, when we're, we're past this, this difficult time. And so I really, again, say get in front of an advisor, somebody who you're comfortable with. And, you know, at Meridian, we've had Kathleen out twice training our advisors. So they're trained to now start asking these questions uh, so that you can not only have um, this discussion with your advisor, but you can have this discussion with your kids. In your case, you know, the children, your older kids could be invited to the meeting with the advisor and you could have a family discussion and right and, and or um our advisors can help um you know parents children start saving for the future i know i put my son in what in front of my advisor and he's just studying it well he's not even at a university he's doing his master's so he's going to start saving now so Have an advisor that actually will ask these questions, will encourage you to think about it and talk about it and, and just kind of give you that safe space to to have the discussion so that you can actually bring your family, kids, husband, spouse, partner, whatever parents, you know, uh, about the whole estate thing. There's so many, you know, and one of the stats here was two thirds of affluent families have not talked to their children about their wealth or never will. So what happens when they pass away, then you have all this family, you
0: know, turmoil and and you know hiding. the the idea of wealth and psychology mixing here is huge because as you're saying these things yeah. i can feel the stress and the anxiety in me because nobody wants to talk about losing yeah. a loved one yeah, uh, but yeah. there are some real, very real practical things that should be addressed before that happens. Right. right, right. Um, and, and, you know, when you said when you were saying about, you know, somebody saying I've got your back, that, that I could almost feel the tears welling up in the back of my eyes, because that's a very real emotional feeling yes. that people have about their future and about that relationship with money. Yeah. So that connection is huge. So I really do love this. Um, so again, yeah. where can people find this webinar? Because I think it's, it's, it's going to be amazingly helpful for so many people.
1: So we're going to share the link with you, but I also encourage you go to um, Meridian, um, to go to our website where we got, we have the webinar posted, uh, and you can watch the full on conversation, uh, with Kathleen and myself. And, uh, and then if you want to meet with an advisor, we have a link to advisors in, you know, in, in the nearest location with you. Um, the other thing is there are two free tip sheets. When you go on our website, there's actually a tip sheet to have to start having these discussions. And there's another one on family legacy and planning uh, provided by Kathleen. So I encourage everybody to go on there and download those uh, those free uh, tip sheets as well.
0: Okay, wonderful. Dillis, thank you so much for yeah. uh, breaking the silence with me
1: today. <laughs> Always <laughs> great.
0: <laughs> Take care
2: more with candace sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 the region welcome back to what she said with candace sampson on 1059 the region
0: comes to our smiles, many of us are living with some false ideas about how to keep them healthy. Anita Deddy is the owner of Dental X here in Vaughan, and today she is joining me to share some of the most common dental myths out there. Welcome back to the show, Anita. Thank you for having me. So, one of the myths you say is that you can't, people think you can't go to the dentist while you're pregnant. I'd actually never heard that one.
3: Um, a lot of people think that it's dangerous to go to the dentist when you're pregnant. But uh, that's uh, not true. It's very important to have um, to see the dentist when you are pregnant, especially one of, one of the most common things uh, we see is, uh, it's called pregnancy gingivitis. And you see quite a lot more bleeding and the gums are uh, very inflamed during pregnancy because the hormones, as we know, are going crazy at that time. So um, it is uh, very important to see um, the dentist and the dental hygienist to make sure that you get a proper treatment if it's needed. Um, the only thing that we don't suggest during pregnancy is, uh, especially in the first trimester, it's the x-rays uh, that we usually just uh, let them unless it's an emergency, um, but otherwise we don't uh, take x-rays and um, also fluoride. Fluoride is one thing that we don't, uh, we don't give to the patient when they are pregnant. Okay. But otherwise it's very important to see the, the dental professional.
0: Okay, excellent. And so then what about all those people out there walking around now right now saying my my teeth look good. I feel
3: fine. (laughs) It's, um, you know, when you feel pain, or when you see something, it's already too late. So it's, um, it's very, you know, like, that's why we have uh, the patients coming in every three, four or six months to make sure that we get everything early. So prevention is the key of, um, especially in the dental world. So we have to make sure that uh, we see um, and uh, prevent anything um, uh, bigger from happening, especially uh, when we see like cavities. Um, It's very important to get them when they're very little because when they hurt, it's already too late and it's becoming a root canal. Or um, also gum disease, like let's say they have um, a little bit, you know, like a bleeding or, um, you know, let's say if um, they, you know, like they don't see anything, but we can, uh, we can see that it's um, the early stages of uh, starting something, then for sure we have to make sure that we take, uh, we take action before it gets um, any bigger.
0: Okay, excellent. Let's talk about the baby teeth.
3: Yeah, (laughs) So a lot of people say, "Oh, baby teeth are not important; they will fall anyway." Um, it is true they will fall, but baby teeth are as important as the permanent teeth, um, and they are there for a reason. Um, it means that um, you know the baby teeth have a very important function. Um, definitely, it's for chewing, which is the first you know the first thing, um, and also they keep the place. For the permanent teeth to come in. So, even if, um, uh, let's say, if they have a cavity or um, you lose the baby teeth early, we have to make sure we replace them with uh, maybe a temporary crown or, um, let's say, with a space maintainer, just to make sure that uh, we keep the space so the permanent teeth come to place and they don't go all over the place. And then you need orthodontic treatment, um, probably a very, you know, like advanced orthodontic treatment at a later date. So baby I mean- and we can't,
0: we can't dismiss, obviously, that taking care of baby teeth sets you up for success taking care of your adult teeth later, True. right? <laughs>
3: True. So that's also very, you know, like, it's a very good point because we have to teach um, kids that um, you have to take um, care of your teeth early. So they know when they get older, they continue and uh, they take care of their teeth, especially during the teenager years, which is the hardest, uh, which is the hardest time to make, you know, them take care of their teeth. But um, that's why we, it's very important to actually um, teach the parents more than the kids that the baby teeth are so important, because I, I hear a lot of times when they say, um, oh, you know what, it's okay, you know, baby teeth are not as important in front of the kids. Um, and that's not good. We, we say no, baby teeth are very important, as important as the permanent teeth.
0: Okay. So I, I'm curious about teeth whitening, because this is something that um, I've heard can harm your teeth. Is that true?
3: It is not. Teeth whitening do not harm uh, your teeth, Um, and I'm talking about uh, teeth whitening done at the dental office. I know teeth whitening sometimes they're done also elsewhere, uh, which I definitely you know don't agree with it. Um, If you don't come to the dental office and cut your hair, so it's the same thing you know that when you go uh, to other places to do teeth whitening, it's not. I don't agree with it. But in the dental office, when we do teeth whitening they are not dangerous. There is um, no permanent damage done to the teeth. The only thing that you see is only temporary sensitivity. That's the only thing and that usually goes between 24 to 48 hours. Um, and then your teeth become back to normal, just whiter, brighter, and uh, much nicer smile. I'm That's curious, how,
0: how long does teeth whitening last for?
3: Um, We usually say it's good to be uh, to do the teeth whitening once a year. Um, I'm not, I'm all, you know, like always I say everything in moderation. You don't, you know, do things, you know, like in in extreme. Um, You have people that want them, you know, the teeth when they smile, the only thing they see is those white teeth. But I usually say everything in moderation. So once a year is a good, um, it's good to to do them. And maybe, you know, touch up a little bit at home uh, for maybe every six months or so to touch them up a little bit at home, but not more than that.
0: Okay, excellent. So we're coming up at the end of this. This is great, though. But if people want to connect with you uh, and they have questions, where can they find you, Anita?
3: So they can find us on social media, which is one of the best ways to reach us. Um, on Instagram, dentalex.ca, on uh, Facebook, at dentalex. Um, and also, they can uh, shoot us an email at info at dentalex.ca or on our website at dentalex.ca.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Anita. You're always a wealth of information. We'll see you again next month.
3: Thank you very much for having
4: me. I love your smile. I really do. <laughs>
0: Oh, Come All Ye Faithful is proving a bit problematic for those that typically gather in houses of worship during the holidays. COVID-19 restrictions are preventing the usual celebrations and gatherings, and sadly leaving many feeling even more isolated from the community they find in church. Joining me now is Reverend Daniel Breton, Bray- a priest in the Anglican Church of Canada for 22 years, a spiritual director, and an advocate for the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons in the Anglican Church and in Christianity more generally. He's joining me today to discuss how to keep the faith this holiday season. Welcome back to what she said, Daniel.
4: It's great to be back.
0: So... It's going to be a weird year for a lot of people, um, and I, I suspect a little bit disheartening. So, how are you helping your parishioners, um, you know, keep the faith this holiday season? Uh,
4: but since the, uh, since COVID started uh, for us back in March, we've been uh, putting services online each week, uh, recording services and um, sometimes weekly reflections, and so putting all that up on our YouTube channel. Um, I send out uh, weekly um, parish newsletters by email. Uh, We have a a phone tree of people, of parishioners who call and and I do my best to try and keep in touch with parishioners, especially those who I know are elderly and alone um, and for whom, you know, a lot, some of them aren't on the internet. So, you know, putting something on YouTube isn't gonna help them. Um, So just trying to stay in touch, but it's not ideal. And uh, there's a lot of
2: loneliness.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point that you just mentioned about not everybody is on um, YouTube or, or has a, or even wants to actually learn it at this point. I imagine some people are just like, I, I really don't want to. Um, well, so that-
4: a lot of Zoom things, you know, like our, our, our study groups and that sort of thing. And, and there's a lot of people who are quite capable of getting on Zoom, but they spend their whole day on Zoom and they don't want to have one more thing. And I, I totally get that.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned that you, you know, we we talked about this a little bit before you said the focus of faith has moved from institutional to relational. What do you mean by
4: that? Um, Just that I think for a lot of people, you know, and I can like speak from my own, uh, my own uh, experience as in, the church as a Christian, but I think a lot of people, faith had become about going to church, going to a certain building, having a having this institution that kind of did religion for you and you just went and passively participated. And, and the challenges that COVID has brought up, I think has shown people that um, we can't do that, that, that we don't go to church, we are the church. So how do we be the church at home, in our own families, in our own communities? Um, and how do, we, how do we engage with faith when we don't have the institution able to do it for us and, and help us in the, in the way that it traditionally has happened? So I think it's, it's really focusing on your, your own personal relationship with the divine and how you access that outside of um, Sunday morning services. Uh, how do you stay in touch with the community of the church when we're not automatically gathering once a week on Sundays? Um, or we can't gather together uh, because of the restrictions. So I think people are realizing that a lot of those other things that took a lot of our time and energy aren't really important. What's important is the community, and how do we keep the community connected?
0: So are there things you're recommending or um, organizing to help others then through this season? Because that's really what this is about, right? Is creating that community, helping others. So what are you doing um, to help people um, Help the community through this. Are so there certain things you're organizing online, uh, charities?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean we're looking at um, so for instance, Christmas Eve we uh, we will be closed, um, so we're going to be doing online services, but we're going to do a couple of different services. One uh, that's designed more uh, family focused, more for kid fr- you know, kid friendly service, so that families can watch that together, um, and then another a, a service that's a little more traditional with mass and a sermon for the adults who want that. Um, I think a lot of adults will just tune into the kids one. <laughs> and that's <laughs> fine. Too. Um, you know, we're, we're, we would typically during the, the season of Advent, we would have a, a weekly service as well. So we're going to be doing an online version of that, um, which we're looking at using Zoom for um, how we do sort of a parish connection. We would normally have a Christmas dinner that can't happen. Um, but I mean, I think one of the things that we've learned is you can't you can't automatically turn everything into an online version of it. Um, It it either doesn't work or it's just not the same. So I think this year is part of helping my community through this is is helping them understand, you know, the season of Advent is all about waiting and about yearning for the light and the darkness. And this is really a a year in which to experience the, the deprivations in some way and to sort of sit with that and not try to avoid that. Um, and to find the hope and the peace and the joy that we always talk about at Christmas, but in other ways, in smaller, simpler ways, um, connecting with one or two individuals as your family rather than the whole church. Um, watching watching a worship service online with your family, singing the Christmas carols together, and not caring that you know your voices sound terrible because no one else can hear you anyways. Well, I was going um, to say if
0: there's ever a, if there's ever a time to be singing those carols out loud, it is this year when you're alone in your home. I mean, be free, right?
4: you don't have to worry about that soprano you know that overpowers everybody with the desk can't they can hear you so
0: (laughs) all right daniel if people want to connect with you uh online uh, i know you're pretty active on twitter so where can they find you on twitter
4: uh they can find me at rev daniel
0: okay Uh, and for for the church where can they find you for the church
4: uh the church is at saint john's dixie
0: okay wonderful daniel thank you so much for joining me it's always a pleasure
2: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
5: Yo, my cat died, and a global pandemic took over
4: my life. And I put out some music that nobody liked. So I got really sad and bored at the same time. And that's why I'm like low
0: key F2020. As we enter into the ninth month of this pandemic, it's starting to feel a little like Groundhog Day in Canada without the sense of humor. While vaccines are close, we're not there quite yet. And that means finding a better way to manage the virus with less harm to women. Lauren Dobson-Hughes is an advocate and consultant specializing in gender, health, and rights. Her current clients include the World Bank, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the G7 Task Force, and she is determined to make the world a better place. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Good to be with you. So you work with some global clients, obviously. So before we pull in and focus on Canada specifically, when you look out at other countries right now around the globe, what ones do you think are weathering this storm
5: well? I mean, I think you see the countries that took this seriously from the very get-go and locked down early and did so seriously and provided their citizens with support that they needed to lock down. So they didn't just lock down and say, you're on your own, good luck. They took it seriously and they took long-term care homes seriously. They provided extra resources to prisons and factories um, and to women. Um, you know, I think we've seen New Zealand has been cited, Taiwan, Singapore, some of the countries in the east, um, largely in the sort of Western developed world, we've not handled it well, I think, I mean, not many countries handled it well the first lockdown in spring, because we just didn't know what we were dealing with. But now hopefully we were I older and wiser and we've done this before and we really should, we saw a second wave coming in the fall. We didn't know exactly what it would have looked like but we knew there was something like very likely coming um, and it feels like we're really not prepared for something we should have seen coming
0: yeah and that's what i read with interest in 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 the article you you wrote an opinion piece for Globe and mail which is why i approached you uh for this interview and you said you know well we don't have a crystal ball and the path wasn't clear that second wave was almost a surety right we knew from past pandemics that this was going to be um this was likely going to be the very scenario we we're looking at
5: and yet here we yeah. are <laughs> Exactly. And it, you know, I think a lot of people are watching with looming horror and real disappointment that we understood we had to lock down in March, April, May, because we really didn't know what we were dealing with. It was all hands on deck, stop everything. But this time to see again, long term care homes, again, women, again, discussion of shutting schools, again, you know, poor people, vulnerable people who have to go out to work who are being penalised, and yeah, just this real sense of disappointment that we should have learned from this and we should have spent summer putting in place things to both prevent this, and then when we when it did arrive, if it arrived, for for people to be able to cope. It's all very good, I'm exercising personal responsibility, I don't go out much, I wear my mask, you know, I'm doing all of the things I should, but there's some things I can't do. I can't set up an effective test and trace and isolate system on my own. I can't procure PPE for everyone on my own. There's a role for governments here. Yeah, and it's been really disappointing to see them spend summer letting numbers rise and rise and rise. And now we're at the point where I think a lot of people fear that we're heading for lockdown again.
0: How much do you think we are being affected by a lot of the disinformation out there about this pandemic? I mean, you know, today I just saw a barbecue place in Toronto defying orders and opening up and, you know, what, how much of a role do you think that has to do with right now with what we're looking at?
5: I think, yeah, there's definitely, you know, the conspiracy theories and the role of QAnon and places on the internet. I think there's a real, where there's a lack of leadership is in shutting that down immediately, you know? So I saw this morning you were referencing the guy who is continuing to operate his restaurant because he doesn't believe in in COVID and thinks it's a myth, etc. And then, you know, for a premier to then say, I understand where he's coming from, like I'm not judging people because they're hurting, that for me is normalising dangerous beliefs Yes, small businesses are hurting and they haven't received enough support, but allowing that type of belief that it's okay to be like a QAnon, I don't know if this guy was, but let's say, you know, vaccine hoaxer. Once we start allowing that into the discourse as if that's an acceptable, normal opinion to have, it's not. And I think there's some politicians playing dangerous games. It becomes
0: the there's very fine people on both sides uh, scenario, and that's what we don't want right now. Uh, you know, because it's it's just creating confusion, and and I understand why people are confused. Uh, you know, small business owners in particular, um, they're struggling. They're being told, you know, uh, the 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 public's being told, don't go out and shop, and uh, but the stores were allowed to be opened. Uh, And then some stores, the bigger stores are allowed to be open and the small businesses are suffering. It is really a very confusing scenario. Uh, Women in particular are really struggling right now. So what are some of the policies you think we need to put in place right now Uh, from a federal level
5: and then a provincial level? I'm not an epidemiologist or a public health expert. And I said this in my piece and I feel like the longer you let this go on, the longer the numbers have risen uncontrolled and there's been uncontrolled community spread, the fewer your solutions, the harder it becomes to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I know for me, if somebody said we need to go into absolute total lockdown again, I'd be like, oh no, 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 I would feel quite anxious and about that. And so, yeah, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's very difficult to put back in. And I know there are various folks talking about COVID zero. We need to go back to not just planking the curve, but eliminating COVID, which is really harsh. That's going to be incredibly hard on people, if not impossible. Um, I think small businesses need certainty. I am self-employed. You know, I also want certainty, like, and I can understand... Being told open close open close you're open but nobody's allowed to come, is incredibly uncertain. And instead, preparing small businesses, particularly ones like restaurants, for a really tough winter and saying you just need to close until April, and we will help you. We will provide bridge funding. We will you know waive your rent, whatever it happens to be. And then they're not stuck in this up down up down cycle. Um, And then for women that we've seen women's employment dropped to levels. We've not seen since 1980. So we set back women's economic participation by 30 years and women have returned to the workplace at less than half the rate of men. So women are dropping out and men are actually joining the workforce. And I I think we're going to see repercussions for that for 10, 15 years plus. If we don't get women back into the workforce, Um, when women are working, it has an impact on their children's poverty levels, their children's education, their own domestic violence situation, mental health. Like it's not just the money in the work, it's all that that means. And I'd like to see some really ambitious initiatives to address the rate that at which women have dropped out the workforce. Yeah,
0: I think that is one of the things that I mean, I've personally heard over and over again for nine months on this show. It is what she said. So we've heard this a lot is how this is affecting women. And it can take years uh, to recover from I mean, I know it's been nine months, but that nine months is going to be felt for potentially a decade for some women.
5: Yeah, these are sort of Long-term, big economic, like economy-shaping moments, and if governments give us their kind of very tinkering around the margins, the meagrest kind of little initiatives, it's not going to address these huge, big shifts in the way our economy works. And I, yeah, I do fear for not just individual women who've been forced to quote-unquote choose, and it's not a choice. If your kid's childcare is, is closed, your school closed, or your kid's learning from home and just can't do that without support, it is likely the woman who's gonna drop out. And I know from when I returned from mat leave just after a year, it was really hard to get back into like work, Never mind having been out of work because you haven't wanted to, and then trying to find work again in an economy that shifted to much more male dominated workplaces. Yeah, if you're out of work for several years with young kids, that, you never recover, most women never recover that trajectory of their earnings again, they are lost years and you are forever then on a different earnings curve.
0: Yeah, and we can't we can't dismiss that there's going to be a gender bias now in the workforce as well, with the with the scales tipping largely towards males in the in the workforce. So, uh, Lauren, if people want to connect with you and keep in touch and follow your work, where's the best place for that?
5: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at l dobson hughes, um, where I often share my thoughts on gender, women's rights excellent thank you so much for joining me today lauren great to be with you thanks so much
0: Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, I have been never been so happy that there is a lag time between making a movie and releasing a movie because there's so many good
6: ones this week. You said it. I have been so busy and I've been gathering lots of Christmas content because you and I love it, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Every night right now I am sitting in front of
6: the TV watching Christmas shows. It's just <laughs> it's what's keeping me going through 2020. I know. I know, whoever thought it would be the case, right? I'm gonna start you off with the most surprising Christmas movie. It's Hulu's Happiest Season. And Kristen Stewart, you know, she's always glowering. She never looks happy, she's always like cool. Yeah. She actually laughs and giggles and has fun in this film. And she plays the girlfriend of um, a girl who has not told her family that she's gay. They go home for Christmas to her house, and it's, you know, a lot of, lot of hiding around. And then they, she wonders, well, why aren't you coming out? Why aren't you telling them how important I am to you? And uh, it sounds serious, but it's quite funny. It's really amusing. Dan Levy's in it. He plays a best friend who comes over and, and, you know, tries to smooth things over. It's actually quite adorable. And Allison Brie and Aubrey Plaza are in it as well as our very own Victor Garber. So it's, it's you know, good CanCon and good um, LGBTQI content as well.
0: You know, I gotta tell you, I watched the trailer and I was delighted. Uh, Christian Stewart, I always I do always found it a little bit dark and glowering. So it's nice to see her in a lighter role. It seemed, um, it's, it's heartwarming. It seems like a heartwarming movie. So I'm excited to see that one. What do you have got for us next?
6: Oh, Goldie and Kurt back together again in the Christmas Chronicles 2. I don't know if you saw the first one, but honestly, you know, this is as far as from corn, Christmas corn as you can get. It's delightful. It's entertainment. There's song and dance numbers to die for, Um, but it's a good solid story, and it's about a couple of kids whose father died. The mother is now dating a new guy, Tyrese Gibson, Um, but the evil... Villain, who's just a teenager from *Christmas Chronicles*, one finds them on vacation in in the Caribbean and uh, whisks them off through the vortex and dumps them in the Arctic. Santa finds them, takes them home, and of course, it all starts. So, and I, I must say, I had no idea that Kurt could sing and dance. <laughs> as well as he does to me that was the
0: highlight i i think what i liked the most was seeing goldie hahn i just i adore her and so it was great to see her back in a role as well and of course there are a couple in real
6: life and she just had either her 74th or 75th birthday so you know well done goldie good stuff Excellent. And, All right. What else do you got for us this week? Okay. Melissa McCarthy stars in uh, Super Intelligence on HBO. She plays a woman who accidentally becomes the target of a, of a intergalactic uh, um, mission, AI. To de- uh, There's a force out there that wants to decide whether to save, uh, change, or destroy humanity. So she becomes the guinea pig. How good is she? Is she worth saving? So we follow her through all this AI. And it's so funny. The lines are just great. And Bobby Cannavelli plays her boyfriend. So, and, and there's this very tender third act where she, uh, the AI isn't liking it. So it's going to destroy the earth. So he's about to leave for Ireland. He has no idea what's going on. And the, her performance, watching him leave, knowing what's about to happen and that she loves him so much it's oh made me cry but okay so it's witty and funny and well worth seeing super intelligence on hbo excellent also Uh, tell me about okay i'm a little bit mel gibson let's
0: just quickly touch on this one from a personal perspective i'm not a fan uh so to hear he's back in the movies what do we think of his newest
6: playing a drunken Santa Claus, who lives on a farm just outside Ottawa, <laughs> which was where they shot it, and uh, his wife is Marion Jean-Baptiste, who's one of the great actors, so he's, uh, oh, it's a troubling storyline, a rich young kid has hired an assassin to kill him, Santa, Chris Kringle, because he left him a lump of coal, which this kid richly deserves, so it's a It's guns and weapons and ammo and stuff. Very strange. And dark. I have no more to say about it. All right. And
0: speaking of dark, just quickly, we have about a minute left. Do you want to touch on Black Beauty?
6: Black Beauty on Disney Plus is a retelling of Anna Sewell's uh, classic children's novel. And it struck me watching this really well-made new version, live action, with Kate Winslet providing Black Beauty's voice, how dark it is because... Black Beauty keeps being sold to new owners who have different ways of treating her, and some are outright abusive. I don't understand why, you know, this is entertainment. And I'll admit to you that I did fast forward a few times because I just didn't want to see what was happening to Black Beauty. Of course, All right. it's out okay, but it's, it's quite the journey. <laughs> So you have a absolutely massive
0: uh, blog post on what she said talk this uh, what she said talk.com this week with all of these plus so many more for people uh, so they can go there right now to get
6: them. And I hope you're already on Super Channel because it's 24 seven new Christmas films right up until January 3rd. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ann.
0: All right. Have a great
6: week. When she
0: At some point in all our lives it is necessary to reinvent ourselves how to do so and pull the important lessons from the last chapter forward is often the challenge Erica M is the mother of reinvention literally going from being Canada's coolest VJ in the early days of much music to being Canada's coolest mom with her highly successful parenting website ymc. In one of those full circle moments, Erica now has a new podcast called Reinvention of the VJ and joins me to discuss. Welcome back to the show, Erica. Candace, that was
7: an amazing
0: introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, well, you know, just so everybody knows, full disclosure, you and I have been friends for a long time, so <laughs> it was pretty easy to write that introduction.
7: When I first met you, though, you didn't write. I didn't look at you today. You are the master of reinvention. You're amazing.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. We have a mutual admiration society going on. So tell me what compelled you to start this podcast?
7: Well, there's a few things. Number one, COVID hit and I was bored out of my mind. So I was looking for a project, something that I could, you know, control something because you can't just sit and wait for things to happen. You have to make things happen. So when COVID hit, I was able to do all the interviews on Zoom. I didn't have to find a lot of people to uh, travel, you know, that kind of stuff. So it became much easier. Secondly, a lot of people asked me about my time at MuchMusic. And to be honest, I don't remember a lot of it. I was under such severe stress that my brain could not take in every, like all the experiences because I was just trying to survive. And I was curious to know if the other people who did the same job as me were have, had the same kind of experience. And then I was thinking, are they also plagued with, you're Erica M. from Much Music 30 years later? Did they also become defined by their time at Much Music? And what is it about Much Music that resonated so deeply with so many Canadians? And I thought, you know what? There's some really interesting conversation to be had. Plus, When I wanted to do a podcast, people said to me, you should only do a podcast about something that you are an authority on that no one else can speak to with that authority. And I thought, hello, reinvention and much music. That's me.
0: So did you find, uh, you know, I'm sure you were expecting some commonalities, but did you find them when you started to interview uh, former VJs?
7: You know, I I haven't, actually. What I did find is uh, a kinship and a connection amongst everybody. There's this sort of deep connection that we all experience that allows conversation to flow really freely. So I've done a lot of interviews. Now I've done 16 interviews. Only four of them have been published and posted so far. But there is this mutual respect and um sense of community, because we weathered the storm together, even though our storms were different. So this experience for me has been profoundly meaningful in a way that I never thought. And it has healed a lot of sort of emotional challenges that I remember from back in the day, because I'm being validated by hearing other people's stories.
0: Right, so you're not going through the, it wasn't just you, it was, you know, somebody else was going through these things as well, these very stressful moments.
7: Yes, and everybody handled it differently and came out different on the other end, but we all experienced the chaos and acknowledged that it was a really hard job.
0: So you have four of those uh, interviews out now um, on podcast. So who have you, who's, who um, have you interviewed so far?
7: My first guest was Steve Anthony because his production company is helping me on the production and he also is the sexy voiceover in every, of the, every one of the episodes. Um, and he was, you know, he's a, a crazy guy. You can't sit still for two minutes, but we had such an in-depth and vulnerable conversation. I was kind of blown away. It kind of made me cry at one point out of happiness. Um, I interviewed the nicest guy in broadcasting, Rick the Temp Campanelli, and then the woman who has blazed the trail for women in broadcast media, specifically entertainment, Jeannie Becker. And yesterday we dropped George Strombolopoulos' interview, also known as Strombo, who I had really no idea how passionate he is, how kind how empathetic he is, and how important his audience is to him. So each interview completely different, and each conversation was incredibly meaningful to me.
0: And each of these people have gone on to reinvent themselves in very different ways, right?
7: Well, that's the thing, is that the one thing that kept us together is much music. A lot of people have gone on to careers in broadcasts, Uh, but in different ways. So it's interesting to see the people who sort of walked away from much music and other people who sort of stood on the shoulders of much music to, uh, you know, further their careers, both of which
0: are great. So if people want to listen to this, then where can they find your podcast?
7: Super easy. It's on every single podcast platform right now. The home is ericam.com backslash podcast. But really, all you have to do is Google reinvention of the VJ. It's five stars so far. People are loving it. And it's super easy to find. I hope you like it. And I hope that you rate it, that you review it, and leave a comment and
0: reach out to me on social media and tell me what you think. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erica. Uh, I'm excited to listen to it myself. Thanks for having me. That's it for what she said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at WhatSheSaidTalk.com and be sure to follow on social at WhatSheSaidTalk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.